Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of Live Well Bipolar. I can't wait to introduce you guys to my guest who we got connected, and I can't wait to bring her story to you and just tell you a little bit more about her before we get into the conversation. So her name is Amelia Zachary. She is the author of Enough, a memoir of mistakes, mania, and motherhood, which is all about themes of family, life as an immigrant, mental illness, and surviving sexual assault. And when she's not writing, she can be found enjoying time with her two rambunctious daughters. She's originally from Malaysia and Amelia now calls Lexington, Kentucky her home. So Amelia, thanks so much for coming out and being able to make it on the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here to share a story and have a cool conversation with you. Thank you for holding space for me. Of course. And I can't wait to get into it because I know you were telling me a little bit about your book and I can't wait to get into that story and walk through what your experiences have been like with bipolar disorder and just the lessons that you've learned so far. So yeah, tell us like when was your diagnosis? So I was diagnosed 12 years ago and I think my story is not very different from a lot of people who find their diagnosis as a surprise. I was having a lot of maladaptive thoughts and a lot of maladaptive behaviors. And I thought that I was just dealing with past trauma and pain and I was just responding. And so then I was lucky enough that my partner at the time decided that I should seek treatment. And because we were at wit's end on how to deal with my behaviors and my thoughts and suicidal thoughts and things like that that was happening. Then a couple of months into it, I think my therapist suggested bipolar disorder. And I was like, no, no way. There's no way I have bipolar. I know what bipolar people are like. This is not bipolar. I don't have it. And so it was a very painful journey learning about bipolar disorder and understanding what it was that I had, that I had a type of bipolar even, that I was bipolar type 2, and that there were many types of bipolar. And mm-hmm. so that that was news to me, and there was something that was very shocking. But I believe that like with time and acceptance of the diagnosis, I was able to face it head on. Wow. And just hearing you talk about the time and acceptance piece and then realizing, because I know you were mentioning when you had the diagnosis, having it be a surprise and a shock. And that's really how I felt as well, getting my diagnosis. And I know you were mentioning too, like you said that you know what bipolar is like. How did you know what it was like before? Oh, I did not know. I had no idea, right? I had this, I, I believe the stigma. And I thought that I knew because I had heard about it. I've seen movies, Girl Interrupted, and like I was sure that I knew exactly what bipolar was just listening to the stigma. And that's kind of my passion to talk about this is because I think we don't talk about it enough and there's not enough awareness of the condition for me to even consider having the condition in the first place. And so I wasn't aware and I believe the stigma and now I believe that we need to end the stigma. And how did you come go from when you talk about believing the stigma to once you had the diagnosis, when did you start to share your story? Share my story only came very recently. 
I suffered in silence for many years. I was in treatment. And as you know, treatment for bipolar is not as easy as taking a pill and the problem is solved. One, it is incurable. I think a lot of people aren't aware of that fact that bipolar is incurable. It is something that we treat and manage. And I was spending a lot of my time in treatment, managing the condition and managing my lifestyle with the condition. And I think with time, I got into the acceptance part. And then I was able to be more compliant with my treatment. And I was able to then get to a stage of healing and recovery where I was prepared to share. And this only began about two years ago. I I shared like with my close family and my close friends, but I was always worried about what other people would think. Would would they think that I'm an unfit mother? Would they think that I am an unfit wife or, or that I'm an unstable person? I was always worried about the stigma again. Like even, even when I accepted my diagnosis, I was still worried about the stigma. And so about two years ago, I started writing enough because of my children. I realized that my children were going to grow into this world and be in a world that was not prepared for things like this. And I wanted to talk about it and be parts of conversations like we're having today and to be able to change that stigma and change that narrative around bipolar disorder so that people like us can get treatment, can talk about it and learn about it and live better lives. Mm-hmm. Love how you just mentioned getting into the writing piece of it. Cause I feel like I just looking at your story and you talk about going through the sexual assault and then, then the diagnosis and also having your marriage and children and then going into talking about your experience with living with the disorder and then the immigrant piece as well. What is it about your treatment plan? Cause I remember you were talking about the treatment plan. What did it look like when you first got diagnosed? I think it looks very different than what I'm doing right now because I think we evolve and we grow and things change, conditions change. The better I was able to manage it, the better I became at managing it. And then I was able to then concentrate on different things, focus on different aspects of my life. And so... When I first began, it was re- we treat the symptoms. That's what the treatment with bipolar disorder is, right? We treat the symptoms. So I was having maladaptive thoughts. I was having suicidal ideation, and I was having my episodes. <clears throat> and so I guess at first it was just trying to get into grasp with the automatic thoughts, the cognitive behavioral therapy, like really concentrating on my thoughts and reframing thoughts and things like that at the beginning and then as we grow as we went along things got better I was I'm more apt with those tools that I was given in therapy and then I'm able to apply day to day I'm I'm more efficient at applying those tools and so then I focus on things like my children then I was then that part of treatment was like how do I handle this motherhood how do I handle being a mother and having bipolar And then, Mm -hmm. I mean, like before that, it was how do I have a partner? How do I have a relationship with somebody while having bipolar? And how do I manage my mood swings and my episodes and still be able to carry on a stable relationship? And so now I've come to a place where I am now focusing on a career that I never thought that I would be able to do, given my state, right? But I'm doing it. And now my treatment seems to be focusing on how I get things done 
from a day-to-day basis. Oh my gosh, I love that. And just getting into the whole, that's the transition from when you first started out. I really understand and resonate a lot with what you're saying with when you first get the diagnosis, treating the symptoms and a lot of what you bring up, which is the suicidal ideation and those automatic negative thoughts and trying to reframe those because that's a lot of what I experienced and very similar to how you're saying your treatment looks different when you first got diagnosed and how it looks today. And when you mentioned the career, so tell me about that. Tell me about the career piece. So I never thought that I would be a writer, but when I started writing enough, it was like something was unleashed and I believed that this was something that was I, I'm able to do. One it, fits, one, it fits into my lifestyle easily. I wanted a job, but I want to spend time with my kids. I want to be a stay-at-home mom too. I want to be around my children all the time. So writing gave me that flexibility and I found catharsis in writing and releasing. And more than that, I found that I was reaching a lot of people who were suffering from the same things that I was and who came up to me and told me that they felt less alone or they felt heard or seen or validated in their experience. And that gave me so much strength and power in my healing. This is like a no-brainer. This is something I have to do because I feel like it's so rewarding. Yeah, and just especially when you mentioned the validation piece and then having the people that are reading your story and really being able to, like you said, writing and releasing and how it's healing for you and then also others who might not have shared their story or told anyone because I know you mentioned sharing with family and close friends but then having that fear of what everyone else would think who doesn't know you and say, okay, is she not a good mom because of this or a good wife because of this and not understanding it. So I love that you were able to talk about that and put that out there to really have someone else see, okay, here's what she went through and what she experienced so that, that you don't feel like you're the only one de- dealing with this and not knowing if you'll ever be able to talk about it or really put it out there. So when you talk about writing for you as helping with the releasing, can you tell me more about that? Like what does it help with the releasing part? Because I really like that. So I write memoir, so which is my first person narrative of my story. When I write, I'm distanced from my writing from the story because I'm trying to process my thoughts and feelings and create this experience for the reader so that they understand what it is that I'm trying to tell them, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that gives me some form of clarity some form of distance from the illness itself and my experience itself to be able to look at it almost like a third-person view and be able to process the experience for the reader. And that in that processing, I'm processing it myself and seeing it in ways, digging deeper and seeing it in ways that I hadn't seen before. Oh my gosh. And I love especially when you talk about the third-person view and then really helping distance yourself from the illness? Because I feel like if you don't know too much about bipolar, you might almost see yourself as just bipolar and not understanding like different circumstances too. So getting into that, because pretty similar to you, I know a big, big struggle for me was talking about the sexual assault. So what was that like for you with speaking about that or sharing that part of your story? The sexual assault, I guess it's as difficult to talk about as mental illness. I think the stigma is strong even there. 
but of course it struck me it struck me harder when it first happened and it took me 20 years to accept that it was a violation so talking about it now i think it's a newfound power where i'm in a place of healing where i can look back and say like hey this happened to me and it was not my fault and that i'm not to be blamed for this and i'm i'm no longer carrying this weight that gave me the power to be able to use my voice to share and like to to share my voice amidst thousands of women who have gone through the same thing and mm-hmm. it's 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 just unbelievable unreal to me how how many women suffer from this situation like how many of us have been sexually assaulted and yet we're still not changing the narrative around sexual trauma we're still talking about what were you wearing where were you going and what what time was it that you were out like all these things that that people ask questions about are still not changing and so i believe it will change i have to believe that it will change and so i have to be consistent with being a voice and sharing in conversations Yeah, and thank you so much for that because I feel like when you start to change the narrative, like you said, instead of moving away from blaming yourself and feeling that, and like you said, 20 years to to be able to accept the violation and start to really removing the shame around it and blaming yourself and really holding that inside internally, especially just hearing you describe that. I know I definitely relate a lot to that and wish that I had something like that, like your book and your story to have when I was younger. And I know, like you said, so many other women like missing that piece and feeling like you can't, and just similar when you think of mental illness, like sharing about a diagnosis of bipolar hospitalization, the stigma with sexual trauma and saying, Hey, this is something that happened to me in my life. And this is how it made me feel. And this is how I dealt with it or wasn't able to or the different barriers that were coming up and I think that's a huge conversation that is like you said definitely makes a huge impact for other people who haven't had any resources like that or been able to see any other side besides this is on me this is my fault I really was the one who kind of put myself in this position to make this happen so I'd love to get into how did you go into reframing your thoughts and breaking that down i think it's years it's years of treatment it's years of talking about it talking about trauma responses and how it affects my daily life and my anxiety and my belief system about the world and people around me not being able to trust anyone i think after a while i was again in the place in healing where I was able to say, I want this to change. And I wanted it. I wanted it before. But I think there's something clicked where when I had children. When I had children, I decided that this was not a shame and guilt that I wanted to carry anymore. Because if this were to happen to my children... I wouldn't be sitting there saying like, where were you? What were you doing at that time of the night? Right. I wouldn't be having those conversations. So why am I so unkind to myself? And so I decided to reframe and think things differently. Oh my gosh. And then I know you were talking about at the beginning, 
So when you were diagnosed, how old were you? When I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed 12 years ago. So how old was I? 27? 27. And then, and then yeah. how old were you when you had, your, had the kids? I had the kids when I was 31. 31. And you have two? Two yes, girls? Yes, I do. I have two girls. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And what has that been like when they're able to really see your story? And growing up, did you feel like the conversations around mental health or any conversations around mental health in your family, did you have anything like that or was it just not talked no. about? No, it's just not talked about. You don't you don't talk about these things and you buck up and be mm-hmm. strong and just think positive. That was how I grew up. And so mm-hmm. that's very different from where I'm raising my children. We are very aware of mental illness in our home. We talk about it. My children are eight and six and they already know bipolar disorder. And I can tell them that I'm having a depressive episode and they will will know exactly what that means what that means for them like what immediately like my children will ask me what do you need today do you need some rest we can go play they sometimes ask me if I want a snack and they'll make me a (laughs) snack and I allow them to do so I allow them to help me out I allow them to participate in the healing process I cannot choose when I have my episodes I can try my best to avoid the triggers I can try my best to not put myself in a situation where I will be triggered, but there's no telling when it strikes and it strikes when it strikes. And there's no telling of what kind of hypomanic episode I'm going to get. Do I get a creative one? Do I, am I going to be lucky this time and get the creative focus kind of hypomania? Or am I going to get the anxious, mind racing, heart pumping kind of hypomania? Am I going to get the numb kind of depression? Or am I going to get the sleep in bed all day depression? So in our family, we talk about it and the children are participatory in the healing process. And we talk about our feelings a lot and I allow them to talk about their feelings and allow them their feelings. Mm -hmm. The way I'm raising is very different from where where I came from. Mm -hmm. Wow. See, that's something that I didn't have either. Like you're saying, no, it wasn't talked about at all. Just move on and just push it, push through, be strong. There's no topics about it. So I love that you just completely change that with how you're raising your girls, being able to talk about these things and understand. And like you said, they ask you what you need and they're participating in the process. And I love how you said you talked about allowing your kids to help out because I think that can be hard for some parents with a diagnosis to feel like, okay, I'm allowing them to help me. Sometimes that can be a struggle. And I love that you're introducing them to that so that that way they understand it. And it's not something that's completely new to them and that they're not going to have to learn it in a way that you had to learn it or I had to learn it or other people out there having a diagnosis and struggling with it, either just seeing it on movies or seeing it in TV or seeing girl interrupted, like watching this movie and saying, okay, this is how people everyone with mental illness is and acts. And I love that you're giving them that, letting them be participating in that. I think, I think a lot of it, like we're teaching my children, my husband and I are trying to teach my children empathy. Mm -hmm. And what better way to teach them empathy than like having empathy for your mom who is not well. I mean, if, if I broke my foot, they'd be bringing me lunch, wouldn't they? Mm -hmm. If I broke my foot and I couldn't walk down the stairs or walk up the stairs, wouldn't we ask for our children to, hey, can you bring me that plate up to me? Or can you bring me a, my drink? 
But why is it that if we have mental illness, it's not allowed to say, hey, I'm not well right now. Will you help me out? Yeah. And especially to bringing that comparison of having something physically that is broken or hurting or needing more attention. And then when you talk about coming home from a hospital or, and then coming home from a mental hospital, how it's not treated the same way and looked at the same way. So I would love to see, so when did you first start writing your story and did you ever plan to publish it or what, tell me about that process. Uh, you, I, you may be, I don't know. I'm not sure if you are the first person who asked me this. I feel like you are. I actually wrote my book in a hypomanic episode. I got one of the good ones and had a good run. And I wrote it all in two months and then got it edited professionally, which I spent the next year on. So the book was completed in a matter of two years. Wow. I mean, a year and some change. Yeah, I know you mentioned too with the hypomanic episode and then the depression side, like you talked about that of not knowing when it's going to strike or when it's going to come about, but being able to understand avoiding the triggers. And you talk about the two sides of it, of having the creative side or the anxious side and then having the numbness side or the side of staying in bed all day, kind of what we typically think of with depression. So when you talk about the triggers, what do those look like for you? For me, it's overstress when I push myself too hard and I try to do too much, too fast. I think I trigger an episode, be it hypomania or depression, emotional stress or just work stress. I find like I cannot push myself too hard. Mm-hmm. Too much alcohol, I think, does it too sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's what I and can that's... think of right now. I feel the same way, especially when you're talking about overstress. And I love how you shared with the book. So you wrote it, the whole thing in two months, and then you got, and then it was edited professionally. So almost, almost under two years. Yeah. So my editor had to work with me through episodes. Sometimes I, because I have to work with her whenever she comes back with like her feedback and then I have to edit and go back to her and sometimes if I was baseline it'd be great sometimes if I was hypomanic sometimes it's great sometimes it's not I can't focus and I can't bring my mind to like get to what I need to do and then we have to kind of take a break so we kind of went like that I went and my editor was very privy to my condition and was very empathetic and worked with me through Mm -hmm. the edits and then With that too, with the relationship with your editor, being able to work, just have that teamwork and really kind of go back and forth. I think that's amazing with how you were able just to bring the story out and have it be something that we can actually hold and and read in real time. So I can't wait to get into that. And I know I told you, I'm like, this is on my list after I finish the other two that I'm working on right now. This is literally on my list of something I have to get to. So this is a question I always love to ask everyone because everyone always has a different answer. And I know it's because the focus of the podcast is live well bipolar. So talking about your story, your experiences, and if you can think of giving me the top thing that has been the most helpful for you in learning how to live with bipolar disorder, what does that look like? Perseverance and patience. 
to know that I have to keep looking for the answers, keep looking for tools, keep using different tools, and to understand that like I will manage. There are tools out there for all the different symptoms, and I I just need to persevere and keep looking for them and keep using them, and having patience for myself, and that it's okay that it's frustrating. Sometimes I'm really frustrated. Why do I have this? Why do I have after I have a good baseline run? And then I fall into a depressive episode. I'm like, no, like, how am I here again? I was doing so well. I was doing all the things. I was doing meditation and yoga and walks and all my medication and my therapy. Like I should not drop into depressive episodes, but it happens. And so I have to have patience with myself. So I think the top thing to deal with bipolar for me is perseverance and patience. Wow, I love that. And that's definitely something that I... I'm always having to remind myself of too, especially the patients, because I'm very impatient, very, very impatient. So I love that you put the two together of having the patience and then the perseverance of continuing to do what is working and to push out the things that aren't. So like you mentioned, avoiding the triggers, which are overstress and overstimulation and a lot of alcohol. So knowing those things and then starting to get more of the things that help and really time with your husband, time with your daughters, working on your writing and really putting that story out there and reaching people who need that message. So I love this this answer that you, you really described this so well of just continuing because it's, it's a balance of the both of them, of continuing to keep going, but not being hard on yourself when you have that dip, when you're going through that and saying, I've done all these things, like why am I having this experience? So I, I love it and I've loved being able just to be able to talk with you and just get into some of your experiences here and just the story of putting this out into the world. So before we go, I want you to tell everyone where can they connect with you and get more of you and your story. So connect with me on my website, ameliazachary.com. I think we'll have it in the show notes, hopefully because my Zachary is spelled a little different. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram at Brown Girl Crazy World. And that's where you can find me. And my book, Enough, A Memoir of Mistakes, Mania, and Motherhood, is out everywhere books are sold. Get your copy on bookshop.org or Everybody Loves the Big A. It's there too. And it's at any bookstore. Yes. So I'm going to link all this in the show notes. So website, Facebook and Instagram, and then the book as well for you guys to go check it out and support Amelia and her story and her work. So again, Amelia, thank you so much for coming out and sharing your story. It's been amazing talking with you and just being able to see your journey so far. So thank you so much. And I hope that you have a good day. Thank you. And thank you for holding space for me again. Of course. All right. Bye, Amelia. Bye, guys. Bye.